Hello and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened. We're so happy to have you join us here this week. We have a lovely new guest rejoining us to talk about her fabulous new project. Denise, would you like to tell our listeners who we have on? I would. We're welcoming back Ashley Asty. She was our first guest that we had on back in way, way back in 2018. And I'm just going to do a quick bio of Ashley Asty as a writer speaker, and the founder of an organic skincare line, Ashley Asty Skincare. Through her work, she offers conscious advice on how we treat our bodies and our earth, as well as poignant reminders of what real beauty is. Her self-care creations and writing showcase her commitment to wellness, her passion for preserving the planet, and her belief that we're all connected. Since being on her show, Ashley has published several books, the first of which was Dear Sisters, Your Nature is to Bloom. Additionally, I Always Thought I Was Fire, a memoir through the elements, The Moon and Her Sisters, I've Waited for You, Letter from Prison, and her latest, Yoga Heartstrings. Welcome, Ashley. We're so excited to have you back. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so grateful to each of you for sharing this space for me. Um, and for everyone listening, I know you all have lots of things pulling at your attention. So it means a lot to me that we get to share this space and be joined by people who are listening in. Well, we got an early advanced copy of your book. And I'm reading it. I really enjoyed it. And as I'm going through the pages of your experience with your journey into creativity, not only as a yoga teacher, but as a writer and an entrepreneur, there was this one section where you said you were writing during the pandemic. And I was like, wait a minute, when was this written? <laughs> it feels like this book just recently came out of you. Can, can you describe that process? It did. Yeah, I've been, I, I, I should start by saying, I know I'm in a very privileged position to be able to use this time during the pandemic to go within and create. I am privileged to have, you know, uh, enough support to have a roof over my head to be safe and healthy to not be an essential worker. And so this time, it's almost been a gift to me in a way. And so I've been using it to create. Uh, so I've been writing a lot. And um, as I, I write in the book, I was having this experience. I'm a yoga teacher. And um, I was in my backyard trying to just film a really short video about tuning into your core when you're doing yoga. And I got halfway through it really just a few minutes in. And all of a sudden, I realized, oh my gosh, I don't want to be doing this. And it's not that I didn't want to teach yoga or that I don't think connecting to your core in yoga is important, but that I wasn't the one who wanted to be doing that. I wanted to teach yoga like it's poetry, um, like our bodies are speaking poetry. And so I just, it sort of set me off that, that day. I sort of had this almost, I wouldn't use the word crisis, but many just like, what is my path? I, I don't think I'm sticking to it truthfully. And I woke up the next morning and the idea for this book about creative living and yoga came through to me. And it just sort of like shot through me in a matter of days, a real experience of channeling. Um, so yes, I just, I wrote it very recently and just sort of got it out to you and I'm excited to share it with the world. Well, that is fantastic. It, it's amazing. It's also, I'd like to add a little ad lib to, to your bio is that in this process, you've also become a yoga instructor mm -hmm. and this beautiful book is, it is about yoga, but it's also a correlation between the practice of yoga and aligning with your inner truth and knowing and creativity through breath and movement. 
And it, you're really presenting a holistic package with this. So someone could pick this up and say, oh, well, I'm not a yoga person or mm -hmm. I'm not. But each little, I don't know if they're chapters or subsets, really, you could read this as a whole or you could read it in these little sections. It really blends it beautifully. So did you feel like starting as a yoga practitioner opened up more your creativity more than it had been? Yeah, I've been practicing yoga for years, but you know, I'd always gone back and forth. So I want to teach. And then I, I always came back around to no, I don't really want to teach. I want to enjoy the practice for myself. But I just kept getting these whispers until it was just last summer, actually, uh, about a year ago, that uh, I saw that a, yoga, a local yoga studio of mine that I, I just met the owner a couple times. I, I loved her the few times I met her, but I didn't know her well. She said, posted that there was like one spot left in her yoga teacher training. And I just had uh, this like instant click of knowing that that was the teacher training for me and that I needed to do it. And I wasn't quite sure why. I wasn't sure if I was going to teach with it. And it absolutely opened my life in so many ways that I didn't expect and my creativity. I've always been a very creative person and have loved to write. And when I was little, I would sew little clothes for my dog and <laughs> whatever ways I could create. <laughs> um, but I think there was something that finally helped me unleash what I was holding back of having to not only stand up at, a front, at the front of the room in front of students and just speak on the fly, but I think yoga in itself really creates this inner trust with who you are and um, a connection to something deeper or higher, something divine. And so when I would go to teach a class, I would not only hear like my own human voice, but I would all of a sudden notice that there was something else coming through and speaking through me. And that gave me a sense of trust, like I'm supported, that I can let go. I don't need to plan every moment of every class. I can just unleash it. And that affected my writing. It affected just how I live my life. Um, and I think the more we have trust, the more we're able to be courageous and allow that divine, divine channel to come through and express itself in the world. I, oh, I really liked the part where you were talking about your first year at college and how, mm -hmm. as you set off for school, you felt like you knew who you were, you knew what you wanted, you had your shit together, excuse my language. <laughs> and then you get to college and all those walls come down and you had this sort of existential crisis in a way. Can you describe that process for our listeners and how you got through that? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know how I got through it. No, <laughs> I think, like you said, I had a very clear sense of who I was since I was little. I would, you know, get like div divine voices coming to speak to me. I had a very clear image of who I was and what sort of woman I thought I was going to be. Um, and for most of my life, that sort of played out as, as I expected. And then I got to college and for the first time, it felt like I didn't have room to breathe, like who I was wasn't being accepted um, and that I couldn't find space for where I belonged. And so it felt like everywhere around me, I was just hearing no, 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 no. And so the crisis, I used to say that I felt lost during college, but I don't think it was that it was lo I was lost. It was, again, that I just didn't know where to find space for me. And I thought I felt so different that no one would want what I had to bring uh, to the world because it was too out there, too different. So getting through college, that experience itself was just sort of trust again. I mean, I just, I would, I would cry every single day in college because I felt so lost and disconnected. I felt disconnected like the center of me had dropped out. But there was just something in me that knew, that still held strong to that vision of who I thought I was supposed to be, the woman I was supposed to be. And so I would cycle through this like deep, 
pain and soul searching to this sense of resilience. And I think it's a matter of um, it took time. It took growing up. It took realizing that it's not about whether you think other people have expectations of you. It's about what, do you, what are your expectations for yourself? It's about believing in yourself and knowing that if you feel like you don't fit somewhere, that the answer is not to try to make yourself into something else. I think for a while I tried to sort of contort myself and, and hide parts of me. But the, the way to find freedom and to find space is to really create space by, for yourself by just being as authentic as you possibly can be. Because I think one that frees you. And then I, I found that people are attracted to that. People are drawn to other people who are just living as they are. I think, unfortunately, that's um, a rare thing now. We're often so afraid to express our truth. We're afraid whether other people will think of it, whether we'll be accepted. Um, and so when we see that raw honesty from another human being, I think it's attractive and magnetic. And I know when I see someone else living like that, it reminds me to shine my light. And so part of my mission and all the work that I do is to be as honest about it as I can um, so that maybe that will give other people the courage to be as honest as they can in their own expressions. Well, I think that that is so spot on too with what a lot of us are experiencing right now. These, throughout this virus, throughout the unrest, throughout the uncertainty, there has been this feeling for a lot of people of if it isn't real and true and genuine, it, it doesn't resonate and we, we can't align with it anymore. And it, that's showing up in a variety of ways. One part in your book that I absolutely loved is when you described getting the Saturday morning mm -hmm. yoga class for older people and mm -hmm. you didn't expect them to be older people and how you had to, again, pivot. But what I loved is that's that same philosophy that you bring through with your skincare line with your philosophy of life and being on the planet, but also I would love for you to share, and, and this is kind of putting you on the spot, how you, you don't see ageism, which in our society is so phenomenal. And you, when you read the description of these older people that are in your class, you help them to embrace where they are now and find their own beauty. And you've done that with your product line as well. So what would be some ways to help? Because a lot of people I told, I'm too old for that, or I'm, hmm. I'm too this, or I'm too that. How do you help people tap into their own place of knowing so that they can release that? I think it's sort of an energy or a presence that we all take on. I don't think there's something specific that I, when I walk into my Saturday morning yoga class and greet these uh, women and men in their 60s and 70s uh, that I specifically do. But I think it's carrying that energy, that recognition that we are all beautiful and worthy. And I think my time in college when I felt um, hidden, unseen, unheard uh, reminded me how important it is for to celebrate people light that there are people that you might not know that someone's struggling or don't see themselves as valuable or capable. And so the best thing we can do for them is to spread that love. So I think that's where it came from. I always say that if I didn't have that time in college, uh, I wouldn't have known compassion as well. I wouldn't have been able to do the work that I'm doing because my life would have worked out exactly as I thought it was meant to. And I wouldn't have had to know, know what struggle is like and that it doesn't make you any less than. In terms of ageism though, what I feel like with my students, because so many of them uh, would come up to me before class, these older students and say, oh, my body's too old, it's too tight, it can't do all of these things. 
I think it's a reminder that your life and your, and I'll use the example of yoga, your yoga practice is not about what anyone else's practice looks like. It's about showing up to your mat exactly as you are and honoring your body exactly as it is. You don't have to go into the deepest expression of the pose. Again, your pose doesn't have to look like my pose as the yoga teacher, but to just really listen to what your body needs. Because then when you take that off your yoga mat into your life, you start doing the same thing. You start living your life from a place of it not needing to look like anyone else's. It's okay to be different. It's okay to just express who you are and not be afraid of that. I think for me, I, I spent so long, so much of my life, and I think as women, we often feel as of needing to be small and needing to hide ourselves and not take up space and not shine so brightly. Um, but I encourage you to just keep shining, not in a way that out overpowers anyone else that's meant to take someone else down, but just um, as who you are, the world needs you exactly as you are. I have to tell a quick funny story that <laughs> reminds me of this. I grew up doing yoga at home with my dad. We would put a video in and do yoga. And after college, I went to my first actual yoga class with my sister and the teacher kept saying, just be who you are. Don't worry about doing it perfectly. Just <laughs> be who you are and breathe through the stretches and let it all out. And as soon as she said, let it all out, someone farted really loudly. And she said, yes, just like that. And it was all I could do not to laugh. Nobody in the class laughed. They all just kept on keeping on. And I remember thinking, these yoga people are way more elevated than I am. Because <laughs> I felt like a seventh grader, you know, who just wanted to laugh at a fart. But she was a very good teacher, and she reminded us that you are okay as you are, even if you have a little bit of flatulence. <laughs> and I think that's the thing, though. I think so many of us approach yoga, we have this image in our mind of like what yoga is and who yoga people are. And on, it, it's for anyone, like show up as you are. It doesn't matter. You don't have to fit in with what you think yoga is. I mean, as we're speaking right now, I do have Nag Shampa burning from, <laughs> uh, so I guess I fit the stereotype a little bit. But you don't have to. I think it's a beautiful practice of just really getting to stillness, which is something that we can all get benefit from. Well, you were just talking before about how your fear in college was that you were unseen and, and unheard and unnoticed. And I wonder if that's everyone's fear in some way. And if that's part of the reason why you wrote this book is to remind people to explore their hunger, to explore their creativity so that they can be seen and heard and noticed. And really, sometimes when I think of those thoughts, I wonder, does it really matter if anyone sees me or hears me or notices me? Isn't it most important that I see me, that I hear me, that I pay attention to who I am? And, and in many ways, this book almost read like, like a love letter to your creative self. So I wonder what is important to you, that other people see you, hear you, notice you, or that you are aware of, of the, uh, the authentic Ashley? Oh, I love that. A love letter to your creative self. I think you just gave me the words that I didn't realize uh, was that was what the essence of writing that book felt like to me, but I didn't even have those words. So thank you. I think... Uh, as a creator, of course, you want your work to be seen in the world. Um, and so, you know, it, I guess in some way you think, well, doesn't it matter <laughs> if someone else wants to buy my work, pay for it, whatever it might be. And I, I also, <laughs> going off on a tangent for a moment, I also understand that as much as I keep talking about be who you are, express it in your art, express it in your life, I recognize that there are 
places in the world and even in this country where being who you are is um, actively suppressed or uh, can lead to harm or that people are, are going to express hate towards who you are. And so that's a very hard and heavy thing to carry. And I do believe that at the end of the day, what matters is how you see and celebrate yourself. I have a friend who's a photojournalist and she was telling me that she's turning 60 actually in a, in a few days. And she said she's not looking forward to it. Uh, she's not handling it well. She feels old. So she started doing for the past 30 days what she's calling an invocation to beauty. So every morning she wakes up and for about five minutes she meditates. And basically her meditation is just welcoming in, in beauty, seeing if asking if she can see the world through a new lens, through the lens or prism of beauty. And then after those five minutes of calling in beauty, she goes outside and she takes photographs for five minutes of anything in her yard that just catches her now seeing this new lens. What matters is that we can change our perception of how we see the world. And that's the most important part of how we see the world around us and how we see ourselves. When we come to at least for me, my journey of, of really beginning to accept who I am, even all the things that I was ashamed of or afraid that they made me unworthy. The more I embrace them, uh, the easier it is for me to walk through the world uh, just more effortlessly and more truthfully. And to get, to get back to your point about hunger, <laughs> Denise will know this. So for years I have talked about, oh, like, where's my man? Where's my partner? Um, I, I've been searching for him, can't seem to find him. And so I thought this like deep hunger that I had inside me, this craving, this longing was to find him. That I thought that would be an experience of beauty and it would be filling. But what I've come to realize, the more I've gone through this process of getting into stillness, seeing my own beauty, seeing through that prism of beauty, is that I wasn't hungry for him. I was hungry for me. I had been hiding myself for so long that what was missing was my own wholeness, my own expression of who I am. And so if I am meant to find him, um, I don't want it to be because he needs to fill that hole in me, but because I am whole. And so I've gotten to this place of, by recognizing that hum hunger, realizing like, oh, I, I don't need him. It, it'd be lovely if he comes in, but I don't need him anymore. Who I need is me. And I think that's the only way we can live a peaceful existence if we are um, in harmony with who we are. Yeah, that, I agree. And it's also goes back to what you said about authenticity. And it's interesting you brought that up because it, that was, uh, a, that's been a constant theme is this self-acceptance stepping mm -hmm. into our truth, stepping into our own power, light, and purpose. And so many people right now are on this cusp of, well, how do I do that? How do I move forward? This is what I really want to do, but I, I can't. I'd like to, to read a, a little quick thing from your book, if I may, because mm -hmm. it, it really struck me. And it said, you've written, we come to realize our own natural rhythms, the way inspiration sways in us, rising and falling. We come to know that even when it feels absent, it isn't. It's there in wait, waiting for us, probably waiting for us to surrender, to quit forcing, and to simply breathe deeply so that we can naturally flow in. It can arise with ease. It doesn't want us to work so hard. I absolutely love that because that impacts your, your physical health, your mental health, your spiritual health, and it also feeds your creativity when you can get into that flow with who you really are and be, I'm okay with this. I, I, it's, it's incredible. Oh, 
Thank you. I, and I think, yeah, I, I, I think so many of us, at least I have spent so much time trying to force my life to look a certain way, to force my creativity to be a certain way, to force myself to be a different way. And so for a long time after college, I felt this, um, I didn't realize it until like a healer brought it up to me and she said, you're angry. And I was like, what are you talking about? I'm not, I don't, I'm not an angry person. <laughs> um, I was sad, uh, but I was like, I didn't, that fire, I didn't feel that anger. But I didn't realize that I was. It took me years to realize, oh my God, I'm angry that my life didn't turn out the way I expected it to be. And so I had spent so long fighting, fighting what was coming to me, fighting the universe speaking to me because life speaks to us in every moment. And that I started to realize that instead of fighting, what happened if I just softened? What have happened if I just flowed along like water? If I went with the, the breeze that was coming in and allowed it to take me. And that doesn't mean that you have no will <laughs> that, um, you know, you don't sh shape your destiny, but that it becomes a conversation and a co-creation. And so it becomes effortless, but I think it takes at first some work, work of clearing out old beliefs of what you thought you were, the stories you told about yourself, um, the stories of all the stuff that has accumulated from your generations even before you, of doing that work of really letting it go so that you can just be in this moment and really hear what life is saying to you and therefore um, embrace it. That is the number one block I see in readings, and I call it the existential temper tantrum, where people are <laughs> angry that people didn't do what they thought they would do, that life didn't work out the way they thought it should. And everything in their life is going to be blocked until they surrender and accept that and go with the flow. And, and it's a really hard thing to do. It's a situation I feel you came up against with your ex-boyfriend. Can you tell that story of the two of you in New York City? Oh, yeah. So um, I was 24 at the time and I was dating this man in New York City and he had, you know, he had an apartment on the Upper East Side, which is an expensive area of Manhattan. He had a great corporate job, uh, but he hated it. <laughs> Every day he would um, go to work and he'd come home and he'd start cooking for himself and he would talk about how he was just so moved by cooking for himself and eating healthy and, and sharing that natural living with the world. But he would never embrace that fully or step into it um, because he was making money and, you know, he had the normal life, even though he was so miserable that he couldn't go into work each day. You know, there'd be times where he'd have to call in sick. And so we were at one point, I just sort of started, I have an organic skincare line and I just started it then. And I remember we were walking into the subway, it was freezing out. <laughs> and he just started saying to me, okay, so I guess you'll do this skincare line for like a couple of years. And what happens, you know, when it doesn't work out? Like what, what's your backup plan? And I remember just being so appalled the first time he asked me this, of like, excuse me, like I just got started. What do you mean? What's my backup plan? So I said to him, like, I, I don't have a backup plan. It's going to work. And he kept like, he's like, he didn't understand my answer. He kept being like, oh, no, you can't. You have to have a backup plan. What happens when this doesn't work out? And I just kept insisting that I can't see the world that way. I can't look at it that this thing that I have put my heart into and that I believe in, that I can't create it by believing that it's not going to work out. And this doesn't mean that I'm not aware of the realities of life. But I said to him, like, I'm, a, I'm an intelligent, capable woman. I will find my way. If this doesn't work out, I will find my way. And we broke up shortly after that. But it was interesting because he, he called me up about like nine months later and 
he had left his job and he was living in California and he was working on a farm and he was educating students about healthy living. And so me believing in my truth had sort of caught on to him. But I think the other, and so I was happy that he had found his, his path. And it doesn't mean everyone has to leave their job to find their path. Uh, but for me, it was just a reminder of, he kept doubting me. He kept asking me, what will I do if my dream fails? And I kept thinking, well, what will you do if you never try chasing yours? How will you feel if you never go after what's calling to you? And so as I write in the book, I think the most important thing is that we don't doubt other people, even if we don't understand what they're doing or why they're doing it, if they're, they have the courage to go out there and create, to dare, to step in the arena, as Brene Brown will say, then support them, root for them. Uh, it takes a lot of courage to do that. And we don't need one more thing or one more person weighing them down. It's such an important life lesson. And, you know, I don't think you were saying like, oh, I have no plan B, but I think you were <laughs> saying, I believe in plan A. And I think what he was, when he was doubting you and questioning you, it really wasn't about you, as the four agreements say. It was all about him and his own denial of, of his true hunger and authenticity. Yeah, and that brings me back to what we were talking about before. Does it really matter what anyone else thinks of you? I've, I've come to see that oftentimes if someone's judging you in a certain way, it has nothing to do with you and everything to do with, the, again, that prism or the lens of how they're seeing the, wor the world and what they're experiencing in their own lives. And so at the end of the day, it's never really been about you, what other people think. All that is about you is how you see yourself and live your life. I agree with you 100%. And again, I have to use the reference of this doesn't matter if you're 20, 30, 40, 50, 80. This is about stepping into your own. And one way you describe that in your book is about going into the deep. And you, that's woven throughout the book. So could you uh, share a little bit about what you mean by that, about going into the deep? Yeah, it's funny because I am a writer. I've written about it now in, in three separate books, including another book I have coming out. I've written about the deep, so I should have very clear language on it. But I feel like um, it's something that is so visceral that it's almost hard to put into words. But when I talk about going into the deep, I think it's really just the present moment, being inside presence. And so often in yoga, we'll talk about getting still or meditating, but I think that's just language for being um, aware of life as it's being lived, uh, not stuck in the past, not shooting into the future, which is my tendency to always go forward to move fast, but to be in tune enough with your own heart that you can, again, hear those whispers from the universe, hear life speaking to you. Um, like, I feel like I had something else I wanted to say about the deep. But uh, for me, I guess, when I first started uh, sort of learning about it, it was just imagining almost like that there's a door in the back of my heart. And just imagining that door and then just stepping into it. Like, there's not this whole thing that I had to do uh, that it just really walking right into your heart and you're there because it's who you are is the truth of it. It's that uh, core of existence. It's that place that poets have talked about is that place of like nothingness. T.S. Eliot calls it this like space of nothingness, but it's where the dance is. It's where everything is. I think as um, spiritual people, I think many of us are familiar with that. It's that edge where you think there's nothing, but it's out of nothing that everything is created. 
And I know I'm just saying a lot of words that don't provide specific instructions oh, or directions. No, no. But no, I you're, think you're spot on. You, yeah, it's just this feeling, right? <laughs> it is. And, it, and it's different for each person. We all mm. go to that place. And, and you nailed it. It doesn't matter if it, it's dance or writing or song or gardening or, or whatever your form, knitting or being able to design a building or it doesn't matter what it is. It's getting the hell out of the way and allowing yourself to step into that place to work in tandem with spirit to bring this forth. Yeah, I think we all have those moments where or things that we do in our lives where time just seems to stop or everything around you disappears and you just feel like you're in it. You lose everything else around you. And that's the feeling I'm talking about. It's not this like big crazy thing that you have to do to get to the deep. It's, it's in our everyday lives. We have these moments that are show-stopping, these uh, moments of being that are really just ecstatic or blissful or just in tune uh, that make your heart happy. I think it's as simple as that. What makes your heart happy? I think people who haven't touched the deep very often in their lives can recognize it when they get quiet and still and whisper. Often for many people, the deep is a place that is so real. It's truer than true, as Dr. Seuss would say, (laughs) that it almost scares people. You know, I was doing a reading for a client last week and I said to her, what do you really want to happen in this situation? Because she was in one of those, you know, damned if you do, damned if you don't situations. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to help her to see that either way she chose, she was going to be fine. And so I said, what do you really want to happen in this situation? And she got really quiet and she whispered the answer. Mm -hmm. And I said, that's your truth. But she was almost afraid of it. So she had to whisper it. And I think if we can all get in touch with what is truer than true about ourselves, about a situation we're worried about, about a fear we're even too afraid to face, we will touch the deep. Yeah. When I started bringing my attention to allowing myself to live from the deep, um, because it was something that I hadn't really conscious, I had felt, I had known, but I I really wanted to start doing the work of, of getting there. I would have dreams at night of dying all the time because stepping into the deep to me at first felt obliterating. It felt like you're literally walking into nothingness. What I've come to realize is that why it feels like death is because it was a letting go of things that no longer serve me, of whatever I didn't need, of stories I had told myself, of who I thought I was, in all those things that were not serving me, that were not helping me anymore. And so it was a letting go of layers so that I can get to the do- deeper, truer version of me. So now when I have that feeling, rather than panicking <laughs> or being like, oh my God, something's dying, uh, I'm like, I trust it that I'm going to get through to the other side. But it's definitely scary because it feels like you're, you're losing something, even though I feel like you're actually just gaining so much more, gaining your truth. Right. And I think what we're really losing in those situations are the illusionary security blankets we've chained ourselves to. Yes. And when we can have the courage within to let those security blankets go, that's when we can truly dive deep. And that's when we discover our true selves. And and really and truly, that's what it's all about. Like, you know, before when I was saying, is it important to be noticed by others or by you? Well, if we look to the Course in Miracles, it says that this whole world is an illusion of our creation. And so if that's true, if if our world is our creation, then the only thing that matters in our creation 
is how we are interacting with that creation. So if we are kind, we're going to create kindness. And if we're fearful, we're going to create fearful things. And so that's why I think it's so important to have that, that conviction within to let those anchors go and, and dive deep. And yeah, it is scary. Going from the caterpillar to the cocoon to the butterfly is always scary. Mm. But all change is scary, whether it's good change or bad change. And I think what we have to do if we're going to embrace our creative, authentic selves is to really hold hands with that fear. I love the way you just described that. There's another part in my book where I talk about all the ways that my life has changed and how I thought I had to hide all of those inconsistencies that I needed to have one steady life and people need to look at my life and it needed look to look the same way. I um, love that part. Are you talking about when you said I've been a vegan? I've not been a yes. vegan. I've, been in love, I've not been in love. I've given up this. I've not given up that. Yeah. I love that. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah. And I think as I've come to realize that it's okay that you can have all these parts and still be whole because, um, you know, as Denise is reading my bio and that didn't even cover, and I don't mean this in a bad way. I mean, I just have my hands in so many different projects. And so I used to think like, oh my God, like what is wrong with me? Like, I, why can't I just have one steady career where I do one thing? But at the end of the day, when you said, you know, life is sort of about discovering your true self. And I think in every project that I do, that's why we keep coming back, I think, in this interview to, to authenticity, whether it's my skincare line or the nonprofit that I run or writing books or yoga teaching, I just want to encourage and support people in connecting back to their true light, as I always say, bringing you back to your soul beauty, because I think that's the most important thing. So no matter how I express it in whatever form or whatever project that it is, that's always the essence of my mission and I think why we're here. And I don't want to give away the whole book, but when you mention the nonprofit, <laughs> what really rings true in all of what you're saying in all of this work, it's not only about finding your own authenticity, it's empowering other people to find theirs. And, mm. and there's a beautiful story about Brittany, who we mentioned on the last yeah. show, and I'm not going to give that away because it's, I, when I read that, I cried. I just oh. cried and I was so excited for, for mm. her, for you, for the, for the whole based on my background and what I did for many years. Mm. But I, I want to jump, I do want to jump back to another part of the book of throughout the book, there's these subtle nuances of your stories, your, your experiences. But then at the very end of the book, there's a section called Holy. And when I read that, it felt so channeled, like even more so than the other parts. And there's, it just feels like it's coming through you with such eloquence, but also it's impacting your life as well as the people who will read this. So were there any parts of the book that really felt more like you had stepped out of the way to let it come through? Um, it's interesting because, like I said, I, I, I wrote this book in five days. And it just, I woke up at like 5am each morning without an alarm clock because I was so excited to be in it. I think what I find is, uh, you know, for years when I was thought I was lost and what's my purpose and what's the one thing I'm supposed to be doing. And I thought it had to look like a job in a specific way. But I really said, I think what my soul is enamored with is the process of creation. So for me, when I finish a book, I'm not like, woohoo, I'm celebrating. I'm like, oh no, it's over. <laughs> the experience <laughs> of being in it is over. Um, so, and I think that's been something that sort of had to be cultivated, even though it's actually innate and natural, we've been taught not to have it. When I 
went to college, I was an English major. And when they teach you to write, it's very much like a thinking process. You do it from your head. You think about things. And so I almost had to unlearn that and realize that it's not from my head. It's from somewhere else. <laughs> if you want to mm -hmm. call it God, you want to call it your higher self, your deeper self, whatever it is, the angels, that it was about in my writing, just letting whatever comes out of me to land on the page exactly as it is and trust that it's there for a reason. And so that's what this book sort of felt like that I know I'm probably supposed to be uh, like editing all these things intensely, but all of my books, have I've just sort of let them land. And it's what will happen is, yes, I will grow. And I will look back at other books and think, oh, God, like, I wish I would have done that differently. Because if you're living life uh, fully, you're going to grow and change. But I think if we wait for the final change, the final iteration, we never get anything done. So for me, it's just about letting that channel come through, letting it speak in that moment, putting it down, putting it out to the world, and then allowing yourself to move on and change. But just giving that specific moment a chance to be heard. That is so beautiful. That really mm -hmm. is. It's also very, very much about um, having the courage and humility to do that, to really be brave enough to say, this is who I am now. But that seems to be a really prevalent theme for, and you know how I'm always saying, I have so much faith in this, in the younger generation. And I truly, <laughs> in my, no, I do. In my soul, mm -hmm. I do, because you're here for this shift. And part of this energy is being, allowing yourself to grow and evolve in different directions throughout life, rather than locking into one persona or one path or one, this is who I am and I can never step out of it. But with, with the work that you're, you're bringing out in the world, you're not only addressing the people in your own generation, but others that may have said, oh, wow, maybe I should try that. Maybe I should step a little out of my comfort zone. But there's a bravery to this that it, it's like you're holding up a mirror for yourself and then turning it around and letting other people see their own reflection as well. Oh, thank you. Um, I feel that. Uh, I don't know that, like for me, I think just uh, it, it almost felt like I was forced into this place at first that um, everything kept like the universe kept saying like, not this, you know, it was, I got to that point of just, I was hiding so much that, and none of it was working out the way that I thought it should. I, my heart wasn't happy that I finally got to the point of like, well, then why am I still living this way? At some point it's about choosing not necessarily to step into a direction that's known, but stepping away from what's no longer working. And so I appreciate you calling it bravery and I'm going to honor and receive that. But I think in the moments of doing it, it didn't feel brave. It felt like there's no other option. I want to live and I want to live fully. And so this is the only way forward. Oh, love, love, love that. Now I heard Carolyn Meese the other day and she was, I was listening to this little video and she said, and this kind of aligns with what you're saying. She said, we need to stop saying when we get back to normal because mm -hmm. we're not going back to normal. It's not there anymore. And we need to embrace where we are now as part of this journey of moving forward. And it feels like that's what you're mirroring in your work, to use the same analogy, is be present, enjoy it, embrace it, find out what really it resonates with you on a passionate level and do that. Share that light. Yeah, and if I could leave just one thing for people in all of my work, if it's just an energy, it's to follow that. Like what makes something inside your chest bloom? I've seen, I myself have lived years where I felt miserable and I've seen other people who have 
have that feeling of that misery and it sometimes as artists we think we have to like celebrate that like hold on to it that makes us better artists you know god forbid we're happy um <laughs> like that's that's always like the trope among i mean pretty much all these creative people like all these all my favorite writers killed themselves i mean and so i think that's taught in college like just like the struggle is like you know that's what makes you and that doesn't make you any i i have lived miserable and sad and lost and lonely and it doesn't make me stronger. It doesn't make me feel more connected. It doesn't make me a better friend, human, anything. So when we can listen to those whispers to do our best, and that doesn't mean that don't let in darkness, don't let in grief, don't let in sadness. Those are real and please feel them. This is not like just walk towards the light and there's nothing else but light. But allowing all of those things in, including the, the valleys, Mm-hmm. Just uh, what what I feel so drawn to in life is I for so long I kept when I was angry at the unfolding of my life I was like I just want it to be even and steady, but that's not actually what I want. What brings me so much growth and learning and and that sense of passion is is going through it all, like riding those valleys, riding those peaks, and because that's what grows us. If we just keep moving along steadily, you know, you're not really learning much. I think artists have traditionally struggled because they're not afraid to see it all. They can't not see it all. So they see the joy and the pain. They see the light and the dark. And I think they're, they've historically been the ugly ducklings of their society, meaning the quote-unquote outcast. But I don't think artists today have to struggle as much because we can find our tribe. We can find our cheerleaders, our community, our support system. But the only way we can find that tribe is by facing and seeing all sides of us, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And this is why I think meditation and, and just self-awareness is so important. I remember my first week of teaching at the community college. I met this lovely older woman, and we were just talking about what the semester was going to look like. And she said, I can't believe this is my last semester here. And I said, oh, where are you going? And she said, I'm retiring. I've been in this classroom for 30 years. And my heart kind of sank for her. And I thought, oh my God, you've been doing the same thing for 30 years. Meanwhile, my friend who was in the same orientation class with me and starting, she was like, that's awesome. That's stability. Good for you. (laughs) And I thought, looking back, we need to pay attention to those bodily and emotional cues because my first response was, oh, that sounds awful. (laughs) And meanwhile, I've been a journalist, a freelance writer, an intuitive, a podcaster, whereas my friend who had the response of, that's great, she's still there teaching, as she should be. (laughs) And so really, I think it's all about just honoring and accepting who we are as we are. I have a friend who's a stay-at-home mom, and she said to me, in school, I was always so embarrassed because... Whenever adults and teachers would ask, what do you want to be when you grow up? My answer was always a stay-at-home mom. And people would kind of look down on me for that. And she said, but it's truly all I ever wanted. And I said to her, that's such a noble goal. What is so wrong with that? You know, embrace it. And so I think whatever our hunger is, whatever our deep is, whether it's, you know, raising a family and staying home with them or standing bravely in a classroom teaching lesson plans year after year, or if it's moving on from different career to different career every, you know, five, eight, 10 years, whatever it is, we have to, we have to embrace ourselves. No one else is going to embrace us until 
or unless we embrace ourselves as we are where we are. I think that's so important that you brought that up and about listening to like your reaction when you heard that, that she had been in the classroom for 30 years, listening to your body's reaction. Because I think that earlier on, I, you'd ask me, like, how did I get through that experience in college? And I think all along the way, my body was giving me so many signs. I was sick for so long in college because I just wasn't listening to what was really going on in me. I wasn't realizing that all these things that were coming, that they were signs. And so don't fight them, uh, embrace them and, and allow them to be whatever they are for you, even if they look different from someone else. Like you said, your, your friend who you know just wanted to be a mother and was afraid what other people would think of that. But we have to push those things aside um, and really listen to what's speaking to us because we all have a unique journey on this earth and no one's like anyone else and no one has the exact same path. And so our life shouldn't look like someone else's. No. And I think that goes for big things too. Like even, even college, if college isn't for you, but everyone else in your family went to college, you might need to be brave and say, I don't think this is the path for me. Or if motherhood or fatherhood is never called to you, sometimes that can be a brave statement. I don't want to have kids. And you need to be brave enough and, and willing to dive deep enough to say, that path, it ain't mine. Mm, and those are, those are hard things to do. But I think as your book states, when we're willing to face our hunger and dive deep and really say yes to the creative yearnings of our soul, that's when we can live the life we came here to live and take those masks off. Those, mm. those masks might help us with this COVID thing, but the illusionary masks, they don't help us one bit. Yeah. Well, tell people where they can find more about you and, and your books and your wonderful skincare line. Oh, sure. So uh, this new book that we've been talking about is called A Yoga Teacher's Guide to Creative Living. And it, along with all of my other books, are available on Amazon or on my website, which is ashleyasty.com. And there you can find pretty much all of my projects, include, including a little bit about yoga, my skincare, and like I said, my writing. And finally, there's a, you quoted Denise in here. Oh, she's in there a few times, only one by <laughs> oh. name, but yeah. <laughs> oh, I marked it where you, she calls you a luscious peach. Oh, here it is. As my friend Denise once said, you're a luscious peach. And if they don't want to take a big old bite out of you, it's their loss. <laughs> she was telling me that story about how she had sort of, I think you had felt that Denise about someone else. You were saying yes. that to them, yes. like you, that you were the luscious peach. And I was like, oh, I love that. Yes, I'm a luscious peach. <laughs> it was about stepping into power and saying, I'm not going to feel less anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think this is what the epitome of this book is. Just be who you are. Accept it cherish it and share that because when we vibrate at that frequency, when we raise our, our energy to step into that authentic truth of who we are, we are a luscious peach. Yeah, <laughs> we truly are. <laughs> and um, I think that's what you, the energy is what's important. I, I think so often being a teacher or a healer is not necessarily the techniques we use, but the energy, the vibration that we're bringing. Um, yes. And that's what matters. Amen, sisters. <laughs> we hope you take a big old bite out of life this week and take a moment to check out Ashley Asty's work at ashleyasty.com. We will post links to her book and her website on our Facebook page and in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. As always, please remember to show up 
Do great work and share your light. Take care. Thank you.